The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Before I begin my sermon proper, I wanted to comment very briefly On this passage from Isaiah, if you have your leaflet handy, you might look halfway down and you'll see the words, You are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I heard uh, an Old Testament scholar say that that is the only place in the Hebrew Scriptures where those words, I love you, are attributed to God. So we need to hear them and mark them well today. My mentor uh, told me once that whenever people asked him, do you believe all those miracles in the Bible? Uh, He would say that I accept them and then I try to understand the truth that they're pointing to. I found that very helpful as I've dealt with the miracles in Scripture, but also as I've come across things in life that were miraculous. Uh, Years ago, I had a very unusual experience that occurred at a burial on the Rosebud Reservation. I was on call to supply in case something came up on the reservation. I was in Sioux Falls, which was quite a ways from Rosebud, really hoping I wouldn't get called. But, of course, I was. So, So I drove out to Rosebud. And when I got there, I found out it really had been a a tragic situation for a family. Uh, The previous week, uh, a younger son had uh, died or been killed in a car accident, I don't remember, and had been buried. And then now, as I was getting there, the purpose for my being there was for the burial of the patriarch, the father of that young man. So we had the service at the local church, and then we went out to the cemetery, and the cemetery was really in a pasture. It was very unkept. It was on a hilltop that overlooked the Missouri River. It was a beautiful location. No trees up there at all. There are trees down along the Missouri. So we did the burial. And then, as is the custom in Indian country, they always close the grave before they leave the cemetery. So the able-bodied men took their turns and started to close the grave. And then suddenly someone said, look up. And I looked up, and there were... 
I don't remember, three or four eagles that were circling above the grave. They obviously had come up from the, somewhere down along the Missouri where the trees are. And they circled as long as these men were closing that grave. Then as soon as the grave was closed, they went off in different directions. Well, then, after the burial, of course, there's the obligatory meal. <laughs> You're never finished until you've eaten together. And it's very important. I've come to appreciate that as a reality. So we gathered for the meal, and people from the entire community were there. This is a man well-known in the small town. And then the oldest son got up, and he started to talk about the eagles. And what a blessing it was that the eagles had come and taken their father's soul, the father's spirit, to the great spirit. Well, as I thought about that later, and as I was considering the sermon for today, not an eagle but a dove, I thought that, you know, that that eagle, or those eagles that came that day, were, the truth in it, I think, was that it was an expression for those people. It was understood as a tangible expression of God's love for them and for their father. And I think that there's the same kind of truth that we find with the descent of the dove uh, upon Jesus at his baptism. It was a tangible way for God to express, or for at least for Jesus to understand, that God was expressing God's love for him. And more than that, was commissioning him. Epiphany, when it's spelled with a capital E, stands for this part of the church year, this season, this festival. And we generally com uh, commemorate it with the coming of the Magi as a way of understanding that this is the first revelation of Jesus, uh, the Christ, to the Gentiles. But in the Eastern Church, the festival is really a commemoration of the baptism of Jesus above all else. But I think it's interesting when we recall that uh, prior to the third century, Christians celebrated Jesus' baptism as the first event in the life of Jesus. The celebration of Christmas came later. Uh, so it seems that for the early Christians, at least, Jesus' baptism was much more important than the details of his birth. And we get all hung up around the details of his birth. We just can't get beyond this virgin birth thing for some reason. That doesn't really matter to those in the, in the early church. What they cared about was the baptism of Jesus. And so for the early church, along with Easter and Pentecost, Epiphany was one of the three major feasts of the church. Clearly, we in the West, and we are a part of the Western church, I think have lost a, a deep sense of the importance of the baptism of Jesus for the church and for us individually. And I think perhaps we've also lost a sense of the importance of our baptism to our life as a Christian. I think we can quickly see the reason that Jesus had to be baptized if we take a moment to imagine the scene at the Jordan River. Remember, in other parts of Scripture, we hear that there were huge crowds that came out to be baptized by John. People who were coming, wanting to start a new life, wanting the confirmation of that by that ritual washing that John was offering. And it says that there were tax collectors, there were prostitutes, there were people of all conditions of life who were there. Now, anyone who's been to the Jordan knows that it's not necessarily a clean river. 
So, and especially if the number of people are out walking in it along the side. So you can imagine it was, it was kind of a dirty river. And standing there, all of these people. And Jesus comes into that. Now, if you've ever been in the Middle East, when there's a large number of people gathered together, it's always chaotic and it's always noisy. It's not pristine like those uh, pictures that we have that have been painted by the artists of, uh, of the Renaissance. It was probably a pretty messy scene. The thing that I think is important for us to see in this is that Jesus here is identifying very clearly with all of humanity, with humanity's failures, with the pain that was present for many of those people, with the failures that they had experienced and were hoping to turn their lives away from, I believe that it was Jesus saying, I am one of you. And in a way, it was Jesus going more deeply into the sense of his incarnation. It was also an expression of God being with us. The God who knows us, who knows us in a way that no one else can. A God who knows us and forgives us. The writer of the book of Hebrews puts it this way. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We approach the throne of God because of Jesus for mercy and grace. And in that is God's judgment. God's judgment is mercy and grace. But I think there's another very important reason that Jesus needed to be baptized. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all present this uh, scene in a very different way. But all of them have the Spirit descending upon Jesus. And in doing so, I believe commissioning Jesus for his ministry. And I think perhaps even that it was the first time, I think, that Jesus perhaps sensed that his vocation was to be Messiah. I, I have a feeling that up until that point, he did not have a clear sense of that at all. But when the Spirit came upon him, he suddenly, I think, realized who he truly was. Our own baptism is a, a reminder to us that we are bound to Jesus and his mission. We are bound to him to bring in the kingdom of God, to look upon others in a different way, to look upon our world in a different way, to see possibilities for change that others might not see. I think we heard that this morning from Jeff Clement. The idea that we could look beyond our differences, the idea that we could imagine something better than what we have now. I think that's part of our call as a Christian, and it comes as we live out our baptismal covenant. It's customary on this particular Sunday to reaffirm our baptismal vows. But instead of doing that this year, I thought that it would be good for us to be reminded of our baptism by placing the font and the paschal candle unlit at the very beginning of the church aisle, at the very entrance to the church, so that as we come into the church, we are reminded that we come into the church through baptism. 
And I was moved to do that after reading this quote by the 19th century English churchman and poet, the Reverend John Keeble. And some of you may be familiar with Keeble's writings. He wrote, when you come into church, the first thing you see is the font close to the principal entrance. We all know why it is placed there. It is because baptism is the beginning, the way into the kingdom of heaven. And without baptism, there is no ordinary way to the other good things which our Lord gives us in the church. We must pass by the font in order to take our place among God's people for prayer, before hearing the scriptures, for confession and absolution, for confirmation and all other holy ordinances, and especially for Holy Communion. And as the font stands at the entrance of the church, so baptism, if you mark it, stands at the beginning of the gospel. When you see the font, and you'll see this in other Episcopal churches as well, when you see the font at the beginning of entering the church, and there's water in it, you might touch your finger to the water and make the sign of the cross on your forehead as a reminder, remembering that you were marked in oil on your forehead, marked, uh, sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism, and marked as Christ's own forever. Or you might put your hand in the water and make the sign of the cross as a blessing upon yourself. But most of all, to remember the promises that were either made on your behalf, if you were baptized as a baby or a child, or the promises that you made as you were baptized as an adult. May the font remind us that we are one with Christ. We are part of the body of Christ. And we are that because of our baptism. Amen. Amen.